The Raiders. Okay, real quick. What are they yeah. doing and why do people hate Derek Carr so much? I have a theory. I think it's because his last name's Carr and people don't like his brother. Yes. I think that's a significant part of it. I also have been thrown off by Derek Carr's accent, which is really surprising to me. Like for a dude to grow up in Bakersfield, he has like a thick, like very rich, like Southern storyteller accent, which I was really surprised by when I heard him talk for the first time. Happy Tuesday, everybody. This is the Greenlight Pod. I'm your host, Chris Long. I got Bill Barnwell today, who I love. We've talked about my attention span. Reading can be a challenge. I know how to read. Can I read for a while? I can read Bill Barnwell for a while. And you're going to have to because he writes some like, it's like the Iliad and the Odyssey up in this motherfucker. Um, But it's all quality. I love Bill. And so we're going to get him on, uh, you know him from ESPN.com, ESPN, uh, to talk about the dumpster fire that is the Houston Texans football franchise, which dovetails nicely into QB movement. I feel like if you're trying to track QB movement this year, it's kind of like standing in the middle of an interstate uh, and watching cars go by. Like, I don't know. It's too fast. It's too furious. There's just too much going on. There's too much to look at. So that's why we're getting Bill in here. I couldn't tackle this day alone. I couldn't tackle this discussion alone. So we'll get Bill on to talk about that. And on the back end, I want to talk about a product that I want to endorse. And as you know, it's not like I have a paid partnership with a lot of these products. I'm just organically really into, as a consumer, some of these things I, I get on Amazon Prime at this point. And um, this one didn't come from Amazon Prime. It came from a website called Planet of the Vapes. So that's a little hint. Could be the, um, the official green light pod method of consuming cannabis. It's a little early, but I want to talk about it. And I have a, an embarrassing admission. I feel like Macon. There's a movie I haven't seen until this weekend that is just shameful, judging by all the pop culture references that have existed for 36 years, uh, the better part of 36 years over my lifespan. And I've just kind of been that guy when this movie's brought up, smiling and nodding, but with nothing to add to the conversation because I haven't seen it until this weekend. First, I want to talk about J.J. Watt. Uh, Everybody knows he asked for his release last week. Uh, The decade-long fixture in Houston is on the move because they granted it. Uh, One of the best players I've ever seen play football. So who is he now as he enters free agency? I think the first question is, who is this guy? Because a lot of times what we struggle with, with with players with either a lot of baggage behind them uh, or players who were tremendous Hall of Fame type players, we either overvalue or undervalue them. Really, we got to talk about right now. Um, obviously, who he is in the locker room carries some clout, right? 
he walks into a locker room, he's a celebrity. He's a football celebrity. Um, so that means something. It means something to have a guy that if you believe in his leadership style and you think that he's good for a locker room, he's got everybody's ears automatically. So that first off, he's not the defensive player of the year candidate he was once. I think most people know that. Um, he's not a 20-sack guy. Hell, he might not even have another double-digit sack year the rest of his career. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I think he might. I think he might have one, maybe two, if he plays another long while um, in the right situation. But he's 32 coming off of, quote-unquote, one of his worst seasons statistically. I keep hearing that. And somehow the public keeps overvaluing him. So with all that having been said, I think the truth about J.J. Watt is somewhere in the middle there. Five and a half sacks, 19 quarterback hits. Okay, some people might say relative to his production elsewhere, that's pedestrian. His pressure rate is way down. Uh, and when you when you look at a pressure rate, it's how many times, you know, you 60 rushes or 100 rushes, how many of those are going to result in pressures. But when you look at pressures, which are a tremendous statistic, but still an incomplete marker for how good a rusher is, a pressure and come and landing a pressure, just like his sack to a degree, is dependent on coverage behind you, how quick the opposing quarterback's getting the ball out. So the pressure rate's down. Um, and another thing that factors in that is double teams. He gets a lot of double teams, and the coverage is really bad behind him, so the pressure rate's down. The win rate is way up, top 15 win rate. So if you look at his win rate, that's how many times a player is winning a rush in a reasonable amount of time that's streamlined across all rushes. Um, I mentioned the double teams. I think he can still rush. Uh, in fact, I think he's a pretty damn good left end on third down and on first and second down. I talked to one executive who said when he turned on the tape, he was shocked at how good he played inside still. Uh, I think the question is going to linger for J.J., how much does he want to play inside? And I'll give you more on that in a second. He's still great, and this is what that guy mentioned. He's still great at the top of the rush, which is something that is very underrated for the novice or just surface-level football fan. Winning rushes with great handwork, uh, winning rushes with a clean move two, three yards off the line or even at four or five yards is one thing, but then being able to stay tight to the trajectory of that arc, the, the hoop you're trying to run at eight yards or seven yards or whatever the quarterback drop target is, he is very good at turning a move where he wins at seven into a rush where he tackles the quarterback at six, if that makes sense to you. Some guys will win at seven and get washed to nine. As soon as you got a hand on your back, you don't have the balance, so you don't have the hip mobility to do that. Even with all his injuries, he's still very good at that. When he was younger, he was good enough, JJ, to just justify uh, allowing freelancing. If you watch JJ tape from eight, seven, eight years ago, they just let him do whatever he wanted to do in the run game, in the pass game, and this allowed him to make his boomer bust plays. Um, sometimes you might trade the safety or the defensive integrity of your defense uh, for top-end plays and negatives. He's not going to be that somewhere else because he's not good enough anymore to trade, to make that trade-off, you know, to allow him to do the things that's going to get those gaudy numbers. He, he won't be that somewhere else. As I said, piece of the puzzle, not the straw that serves the drink. That same guy I talked to uh, said, 
maybe one year deal, 10, 12 million, definitely do the one year deal thing if you're JJ. Uh, as somebody who's been there before, I opted for a one year deal in New England for that very reason, okay? And when my year was up, I was damn glad I could get out of there. That wasn't to say I hated my year, but just for the rest of my career, 33 and on, that wasn't gonna fly for me, uh, just schematically. So I, I had to make a decision, but luckily I took the one-year deal instead of signing a longer deal with them or someone else. And some people might look at that deal and be like, yeah, it doesn't look that sexy on paper, but he doesn't need the big guarantees, the big money. He's made his money. He needs the freedom. You know, a lot can change year to year in the NFL. You go sign with Seattle, what if Russell Wilson walks? You know, you're stuck there for three, four years in obscurity. Um, so get that freedom, that one-year deal. I think that's a consideration you have to take when you're trying to cash in on a great career. And conversely, when it came time to negotiate with Philly a year after I left New England, I thought, oh, this must be the place. Let me, uh, let me make this the old homestead. I would love an extra year for security. Well, I'm a dumbass because I would love it if that extra year was never tacked on because I'd probably still be playing, right? I'd, I'd had the freedom as a free agent to go pick my spot rather than to have to force my way out of Philly because I didn't like my situation. I didn't want to be an asshole as an old man. People don't like old men assholes who aren't like the best players on the team. Like if you're old and you're like a real good player or a good player um, and you're not a star and you start acting like an asshole, it's a bad look. So you get handcuffed. Uh, don't do it if you can help it. And a lot of that reason I'm kind of handicapping his value isn't necessarily age. It's lots of rushers that rushed well into their late 30s with, with success um, are a little bit different than JJ. The lowering of his ceiling I'm doing from a value perspective is due to the tread on the tires. And a lot of that is due to like, if you judge, you know, um, Jared Allen, let's say, or DeMarcus Ware. Okay, their second acts were you know, they vary from very good years to not so great years like Jared Allen in Chicago. Nobody remembers that. Um, DeMarcus Ware had multiple double digit seasons in Denver. That's all well and good. And guys like Kevin Green or Julius Peppers went on and on getting buckets. Show me guys that played inside and out because that's what JJ's done. So the tread on his tires have put him in this situation. You know, this very situation he's in is because of the way he's played the game and, and where he's had to line up. And so he's lost a bit of twitch. So I'm not just worried about, you know, the injuries in the past, but also forecasting that there'll be more injuries because over the last five years, he's only played in two, two full seasons. Um, interesting with him, 100 sacks, 10 years, 85 of them came in his best five years. So 15 in the other five. That's, that speaks to what a beating he's taken, but it also speaks to how unbelievably fucking unstoppable he was for a number of years. I'm talking about years where he had 20, 20, 16 and a half. You see guys get 20, but they don't get 20 again. <laughs> like he got 20, he came right, right back and got 20 again a year or two later. And he had 16 and a half one year. And next year it's 17 and a half or whatever it is. But the reality is, this speaks to a durability issue, and I'm not. This isn't a personal thing. 
15 the other five seasons. So if you project that out, why would you think he's going to get healthier into his 30s? Um, you know, if, if he plays 16 games historically, he goes double digits, except his rookie year and this past year. And, and, that, and those are the bookends to a Hall of Fame run in Houston. So you have to take that into consideration. It hasn't helped that the guy... Uh, has dealt with bad coverage behind him. It hasn't helped that he's gotten double teamed or has not had the the production around him, but he's still winning rushes. The biggest anchor on his value is durability because he can still play when he's healthy. And when you look at the injuries, there's obviously been the back. When you talk about a back injury, listen, I play with guys who hurt their back and they were never the same. It is a miracle to me that JJ is still as productive after the back issues he's had at the age he's at and with a lot of the other issues, like I remember Robert Quinn, who was hell on wheels, dude. We talk about J.J. Watt. J.J. Watt's tremendous. I've never seen anybody rush the edge in person like Robert Quinn, dude. How unorthodox and athletically gifted he was that 20-sack year in, in, in St. Louis when he broke the franchise record. Front row seats. I had front row seats for that, and I had front row seats for him floating around in a in the therapy pool with the couple floaties because he couldn't even stand up and they were trying to get, give his disc space. Um, and once a guy's in that position, again, Robert Quinn's so freakish that he's able to come back and be productive in different places, but it definitely anchors your value going forward. But, but JJ's also had a litany of other injuries, tibial plateau, the pec. Um, little injuries add up. I'll give you an anecdote. When I was in St. Louis, I played through a high ankle sprain. It was my contract year. I, you know, it was a year I had to cash in, and I did. I had to shoot that thing up every week. I couldn't walk during the week, and I played on Sunday. It was dumb. It wasn't hero ball. I was thinking of cashing in, okay? It was hero ball because I have pride and I wanna, I wanna be tough, but playing through something like that, and I guarantee you JJ's played through a number of things, my ankle lost centimeters of ankle flexion. If you know what ankle flexion is, it's like uh, if your foot's like a lever straight out and back towards you, how far back can you push that your your toes and how how little space can you create between the top of your foot and uh, the front of your ankle? The, the less space, the better. That means you're flexible. How much ankle flexion do you have? When you're a rusher, that is an extremely big thing. I lost those couple centimeters. I never rushed the edge the same way. I compensated, I changed things, but that's kind of the beginning of the end for prime me. Prime JJ has been battling little injuries, big injuries for years. These things add up. So don't expect the same guys, played inside and out, um, and that takes a toll on guys. And the guys you compare in a second act who are Hall of Fame level players, the guys I just ran through, take that with a grain of salt. JJ is different. Um, so what's the perfect destination? You know, I, again, I was no JJ Watt in St. Louis, but I went through this bad team for a, a number of years. He, he's been in the playoffs and that sort of thing. We won 34 games in eight years. So when I was released, it was just as merciful in St. Louis, but it wasn't as, as big a deal. Uh, you know, longtime fixture star in the city, productive years, dwindling due to injuries and became a cap casualty. I'm chasing two things. Okay. I'm chasing restoring my ego because I damn sure wanted to prove I wasn't washed up, and winning. J.J. is chasing one of those things. He has nothing to prove as an individual. 
And so while I was doing a balancing act in my mind, trying to pick between teams like Washington, who I visited, or Dallas, who I was in the airport getting ready to go to Dallas and Richmond when Bill Belichick called a second time and I just fucking left the gate. <laughs> I almost forgot my bag. I just left. Um, or it was the two teams it came down to, Atlanta or New England. It's about handicapping. Once you decide that you want to go all in for winning, which I did, and JJ will not have to think it through, he's probably going straight to the winning thing. It's all about handicapping. So when I joked and said, you know, on Twitter that JJ doesn't want to play for your team, that was a, a tremendously open-ended tweet. I wasn't thinking about anybody in in particular. Uh, people took offense. <laughs> I had a New England fan say he's talking about us. You need to get used to this in New England. We won't be talking about you like every single week, especially when it comes to players going and ring chasing because you literally don't have a quarterback right now. So no offense, maybe you should like move on. Um, or Philly. Love Philly fans. I had some Philly fans being taken it personal. I'm like, listen, you're not even in the conversation. It's a burning building in Philly right now. Not to say they can't put it out, but do you think a Hall of Famer is going to run to a from one burning building to the next burning building? I mean, he's not doing this to, to be a mentor to guys in struggling programs. He wants to win. Um, and he wants to play. And so, you know, like when I said that, unless Vegas likes your team, JJ probably doesn't like your team. Um, and that's what he's after. Now, there's a scheme consideration because I think this is a crapshoot. That's the one thing I was talking to somebody about this. Like, it's simple. You go pick the best team. Uh, not everybody picked the two teams as finalists uh, in his first chance at free agency that went to the Super Bowl. People are like, two-time Super Bowl champion. I'm like, well, one time I was a pretty good handicapper. Not everybody's a good handicapper, right? Um, this is a total crapshoot. You have no idea who's going to win at the beginning of the season. So at least be in the right scheme. Uh, you know, Two schools of thought late in your career. Rush inside more as an edge rusher because as you lose explosiveness, you don't notice it as much, right? Um, just relative to the other guys inside and, and the distance is closer. So if JJ has lost a step, it's not going to look like he's lost a step effectively or on, you know, on film if he's a three technique because the guard's right there. If you lose a step at, at tackle... I remember at the end of my career just running as fast as I fucking could, and I was a technical mastermind at that point, like a galaxy brain, but I was like high knee running in place trying to get to the tackle, beat him to that spot. That's the difference between rushing inside and out late in your career, and that's one school of thought. The other is just don't fucking rush inside because after 32, 33, that's going to expedite the physical crash. And the reason I didn't play in Atlanta, and I don't know if I've ever said this like publicly, was sitting in Dan Quinn's office, and he was like, I want you to be Michael Bennett. And I was like, man, I'm really very flattered because I love Mike, but Mike is an inside rusher. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, nah. Like, you know, like the meeting was over. You know, like, so that's the consideration you have to take in. And I, I, only JJ knows what he wants to do. Now, Vegas likes Pittsburgh, 4-1. to one. Green Bay, 9-1. to one. Houston, 100-1. to one. Let's get the teams without a chance out of the way. Anybody without a chance to win a Super Bowl, forget about it. 
Um, and that includes maybe some teams that JJ deems teams that he doesn't believe in to win a Super Bowl. Like people float Seattle. They just lost to Jared Goff, okay? You got a quarterback who's talking about wanting out. Maybe he doesn't want to go play for a team that he's not sure can beat Green Bay, can beat Kansas City. Conversely, you might look at the Bucs. Um, there's a team I sound like I'm describing, right? I saw tweets though this week like Barrett, JPP, Sue, Watt, like wow. Where do you reckon he rushes there? You know what I'm saying in that group? Um, if he's going to just rush inside, I could see him possibly rushing next to Sue. And there is a consideration there that, you know, like maybe they don't re-sign Barrett. If they don't re-sign Barrett, that's a slam dunk. But in my handicapping brain, I would say, when's the last team to repeat back-to-back uh, -back Super Bowls? The 2003-2004 Patriots. So it's been a while. Um, so yeah, it's plausible. Some people would have to leave. But he's not better than Shaq Barrett at this juncture. He's not better than JPP at this juncture. And Sue gives you a down-in, down-out presence. So that's first and second down and third down. He's still rough and ready to play three downs without a worry about him tearing his body up. JJ, you know, there's some considerations there in uh, Tampa. Maybe he makes Sue expendable. But again, I'm not sure what he's thinking as far as rushing inside and out. Pittsburgh's won, okay? In the Seattle category, for me, I picked Pittsburgh to win the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they fell short. This was the year. Okay, they're 30 million over the cap next year. Um, I don't think they're truly like slam dunk contenders. And the brother thing's great, you know? It sounds good. People always used to tell me, go play with your brother. I'd be like, okay, when there is a fight that breaks out, like I've been there on the field when he's beating the shit out of one of my best friends. And you're kind of like, what do I do? Uh, you know, William Hayes, he jumped William Hayes in the middle of a Rams-Bears game. And I got a piece of Kyle's jersey in my hand because this grizzly bear won't let go of my buddy. <laughs> and the jersey, I'm try I come off the sideline to pull him off William. It's the most awkward thing in the world. Imagine that in practice. You know, like, what do you do? And guess what? Brothers don't always get along. There's days where me and Kyle don't feel like even talking to each other. That's part of being a brother. You know, it's just not like, you know, it's kind of an overrated thing to think that, oh, he's going he's gonna to mortgage his football future just so he can see his brother every day. Have you heard of FaceTime? And second fiddle to TJ, I don't know if he wants to do that. You know, like TJ is going to be the guy there. And that also means TJ is going to rush left end. It would be kind of cool to see TJ Watt at left end and JJ inside rushing next to, oh, well, here's another problem. Stephon Tuitt and Cam Hayward. Great players. So like Bud Dupree might leave and you think of him as an edge player and JJ is an edge player. They're different players. So like I don't know if it works there from a winning culture standpoint. Well, the culture is great, but from a winning standpoint, uh, the cap standpoint doesn't make sense. And I think the brother thing might be a little overrated, although Vegas doesn't think so. Tough to tell your brothers no. Maybe that's what they're banking on. Now, teams like Indy, San Francisco, the Rams, Baltimore, they all intrigue me on a level. I personally don't like him in Baltimore because they don't win one-on-ones there. They just run games. Um, if you look at it, you know, like Rusher's numbers go down there. You know, Yannick was like three sacks this year. Calais Campbell, who's older now, um, the numbers haven't been eye-popping. Judon's a guy who wins a lot of one-on-ones, but outside of him... Uh, I don't know, and Judon is a free agent, so we'll see. Uh, 
might see Judon in Tennessee. How awkward would that be? A, a former Raven on the Titans. That's a hell of a rivalry. Um, Indy's great, but no QB. So you mentioned Buffalo. I'm intrigued by them. But for instance, if it's going to be cold as fuck and you get frostbite at practice, you might as well be home. You might as well be close to home. And they're not better than Green Bay. So that's why I love Green Bay. I mean, you, you, I talked about this all the way back in the fall. Number one, close to home, okay? It's your best bet to win a Super Bowl, possibly on paper. I don't know what Vegas has to say about that. It's a little early for the futures as far as I'm concerned. If you're trying to buy a, a, you know, a, a good team uh, to win in 2022, um, a hungry Aaron Rodgers, a fun new look with Joe Barry running that defense who is a great dude. Um, and most importantly, to me, the defensive front is, is, is really stout and can accommodate his skill set. Preston Smith is on his way out, right? Your alpha in that room who has to be willing to be deferential at times to a Hall of Famer, you might not be Zadarius Smith anymore, but Zadarius Smith is going to want to accommodate you because, because he respects you. You know, like on, again, on a smaller scale, not even comparing, but when I was in Philly, an older guy who's not who I once was, a player who at this juncture is better than me and Brandon Graham, was really cool to me and we moved around and he accommodated me because he respected me. And, and he was a good dude and I think big, you know, Zadarius Smith is a guy that rushes everywhere right off the bat. You'll see him floating, you'll see him at right end, you'll see him at left end, you'll see him moving around. Um, he can rush anywhere, Kenny Clark, He's going to rush inside. You could pop down and rush next to him. Or you could kick out and ru rush uh, on the left edge, and they'd have a nice little little group there. Um, again, close to home, best chance to win a Super Bowl, in my opinion, and uh, a fresh new look, look defensively. Preston Smith is out. Um, I really like Green Bay. So we'll see what happens with J.J. Watt, but man, uh, still, a, still a market for him. Houston did the right thing. Love to see him get a ring. So many great players. Um, one of the reasons I don't like the whole two-time Super Bowl champion thing or, you know, you're a Super Bowl champion, like that differentiates me from, you know, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce Smith. You know what I mean? Like there have been some great, great players who that confetti eluded. And I would hate to see J.J. be one. And all he has to do now is handicap. So this is his first foray into betting in a way, and we'll see how good of a, a gambler he is. Let's get Bill uh, Barnwell on, and we can talk more about Houston and the mushroom cloud he is uh, exiting. Bill Barnwell is joining us, and uh, man, it felt like yesterday you were on the show, but that was like over the summer. A lot has transpired. A lot continues to transpire. Uh, I don't know if I remember a worse run for a sports city than Houston. Oh, my God. Like, think about it. The Astros, James Harden, and then to put a bow on it, this whole mess. Um, what's the the worst anecdote you've heard out of Houston? We've all read the articles. We've we've read in depth about this whole uh, mess. Is there something you heard with your trained ear that you said this mm -hmm. is a barometer for a hellfire? Well, what I've heard is that this really all goes back to the Bob McNair comment. And, and I, I know that that's public. There are some things about that I have some insight into here. 
But just to remind people, 2017, Bob McNair, the owner of the Houston Texans, infuriates his players by saying he doesn't want inmates running the asylum, according to ESPN reporting by Seth Wickersham. So that I think I was there, by the way. Really? I was in the room. Really? So then you can confirm that was said? I mean, let me let me go back in my head pictures here, Bill. But I think that was the when we were, you know, like uh, players were talking about social justice. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we were in the room with all the owners. And the fact that that didn't that didn't shock me. It, it should have shocked me way more, I guess I'll just say. Right. I was like, dudes were like, what? But, it, <laughs> but then we moved on to the next thing because owners are fucking crazy. Of course. I mean, the next thing was Jerry Jones defending, uh, you know, saying that the owners are the ones who have grown the league to a multi-billion dollar mm. business as opposed to the players. That'll so that get probably, you ahead with your that che- employees. That checks out. Yeah, that exactly uh, help, helps out a lot. So what I can tell you is that that not only does that, that leads to a near walkout among the Texans players, but then eventually it led the Texans to trade Dwayne Brown. That was directly the reason they traded Dwayne Brown, their star left tackle, to the Seahawks. Yep. They were not going to get a deal done there. So then two years later, that leads to the Laramie Tunsil trade because they don't have a left tackle. So they trade two first round picks. They trade um, a, a huge amount of draft capital to the Dolphins for Laramie Tunsil and Kenny Stills. And then, of course, now on top of that, one of those picks is now the third overall pick in the 2021 draft, which is going to the Miami Dolphins. So, I mean, that one sort of stupid comment by McNair led to a disastrous series of runs, these trades that didn't work out for the Texans, and now a team that is just totally fractured, um, unsurprisingly. And I think there's actually, the thing that really comes to mind for me here, I don't know how you feel about this, is I keep thinking more about how important it is to have an owner who knows what they're doing. Absolutely. It's just something that the status quo of the sports landscape, we just assume that they're rich guys and that you can get by with a quirky mm-hmm. owner or like they all have their own personalities. That's just owner X or that's just owner Y. But like when you look at some of the most successful franchises, what they have is they have owners who support the GM and the coach and the coach and the GM are in lockstep and mm-hmm. there's an organizational vision or they just get the fuck out of the way and let yes. a football guy do it. There's a couple ways you could do it. I would prefer you do it the second way. Yes. But let's just say you're a guy who has a football vision on some level. You can't meddle too much. Uh, you, you, you can't you can't be buddy-buddy with certain guys. I mean, like, yeah, this is a greater conversation on what is the role of an NFL owner as well because of the, the trickle-down effect you just mentioned is huge. And mm-hmm. it's a it's a ticking time bomb any number of places. Right. And now think about who takes over for Bob McNair. So he, he has that comment in 2017. He dies in 2018. His son, Cal, takes over. So here's Cal McNair's resume for running a multi-billion dollar organization. Yeah. He plays at UT. He's a four-year letterman at UT, apparently, according to his bio, which may not be accurate, but I'm going to go off that. Four years at UT. He gets an MBA from Rice. And he spends his entire adult life working for his dad's companies. He works for his dad's power company in Texas. He eventually takes over um, working for the Texans and then takes over the job running the Houston Texans. It's wild. Yeah. Like that's not the resume you need to run a multi-billion dollar organization. No. And we've lowered the bar in the NFL for some reason because it's a sport and we don't look at it like it's a business even mm-hmm. though it's very clearly a business. So why would you not have somebody who's come up in that business, in that position? Well, that's the hard part. 
you know, because of the, you know, what it takes to become an owner and the capital you have to have and how many football people are sitting. Arthur Smith, maybe one day could be an owner. I mean, was true. You know, like there's maybe your one anomaly down the line, but how many football people have the capital to purchase a team? And that's why when you hear somebody like a Russell Wilson say, I want to own a team one day. Well, that's a provocative idea. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, players have not always made the best GMs. Uh, Players have not always made the best coaches. So finding that sweet spot upstairs, as we like to call it, and beyond because when owners don't, they're not even upstairs, they're, they're at some other office somewhere. Um, filling those positions accordingly, is, it's, it's, it's kind of a, you know, not to use the F word again, but it's a mind fuck. It is a mind fuck. And I think at this point, I actually went and counted because I'm, uh, I do research for the Chris Long show. I don't do research <laughs> for my own show, but for the Chris Long show I do. 16 teams right now. Yeah. The primary person running those teams is someone who inherited it from their parents. And yeah. I mean, we're seeing a league right now where there are way more people who want to buy NFL teams than there are NFL teams because these teams are going up dramatically in value, which, by the way, the players are not realizing, even though they are being blamed for us getting too, making too much money, which is constantly the ridiculous thing that happens. I don't know how... Um, you know, an NFL team can go up from like $850 million a decade ago to $2.5 billion in net worth now and somehow players need to be... Fans are okay with things. the really rich guys. They're yeah. just not okay with the pretty rich guys. Uh, they're okay <laughs> That's with another me. conversation. You know what I mean? That's a totally different conversation. I think there's something to that. But let's say like, you know, t- taking this, this process down the line and Nick Casario shows up. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we know all about Jack Easterby. Um and I think we'll know more and more as this thing continues to unravel, which is always interesting. Um, let's say Nick Casario was Ernie Adams. Sure. Did it just have to be anybody from New England? And Deshaun was like, no way. I don't know. I mean, it, it feels like that, though, no. I mean, I, I don't know Deshaun Watson well enough to say. I don't know him at all. Right. Um, but, I mean, there is this whole conversation happening that I think we're going to talk about when it comes to you know, player empowerment and players yeah. having meaningful say in situations. And you brought up, I mean, players don't always make good GMs or, or great coaches or even make great decisions. And I think, you know, one of the classic examples we saw this year is Patrick Mahomes sort of getting involved with the Chiefs process, which I think was a healthy way, but of encouraging them to take Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who, you know, not that Clyde Edwards-Alaire cost in the Super Bowl or anything, but he looked like a, you know, an okay running back. Wasn't like he was a big difference maker. He's still a rookie. There's still plenty of time to see what yeah. he's going to be. But like, you know, it's not as if Patrick Mahomes unlocked, you know, the next Emmett Smith at the end of the first round. Like it was just, you know, he was part of that process, but I don't think he was the the final voice. And I think that, um, yeah. you know, whether it was taking a guy from the Patriots, whether it was specifically Casario, who was a guy that, of course, they tried to bring in under Bill O'Brien um, the prior year and ended up with tampering charges, if I don't remember correctly. Um, it, it just sort of felt like, you know, that that he was not a part of that process in a meaningful way. I mean, they had hired a search firm. They ignored the search firm. They had, um, you know, sort of doubled down, it seems like, on Jack Easterby's expertise. And I think that, you know, certainly publicly, maybe privately, they know more, but publicly, it's hard to see a lot of evidence of that expertise. I mean, I feel like it's funny. I'm like a Houston Texans insider because I used to eat breakfast with Jack Easterby all the time. And right. He used to sit at me and Marty Bennett's table. I don't know if he was trying to save us or something, but <laughs> you know, I enjoyed Jack, man. Like I thought he was a good dude. And here's the thing is like 
I think people, because people are totally unqualified to do what they're doing now or because they're right. terrible at pro football doesn't make them bad people. What they sure. do with that opportunity, whether they're conniving or backstabbing or whatnot, that makes them good or bad people. That's how I judge people's character. I thought Jack was cool as a chaplain. Mm-hmm. When I heard, when I first read this past fall, I had never, I didn't even know he had matriculated to the upstairs portion of the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I heard he was doing that down in Houston, I was shocked, man. <laughs> I was shocked. And that's nothing I mean, against him as a guy, but I was Bill, shocked. Bill said the same thing, right? Like he was like, you know, Jack is not someone we would consider to be uh, a personnel person, right. right? And I mean, you know, let's leave. Jack Easterby aside as a person, because while I don't know the person, obviously you know much better than I do. Um, well, I'm not think, vouching for anything he's doing sure, in Houston. I'm saying sure. he was cool to eat breakfast with. <laughs> well, that's fair. You know, um, Bill, let's leave that. Let's leave it. Let's leave him aside. Let's just say in terms of how he's been. He's presented. good at breakfast. He's good at breakfast. And that's important. Most important meal of the day. Most important meal of the day. But, Everybody should eat breakfast together in Houston. But like. This has been a totally opaque thing. Like this person who does not have a traditional background, which is fine, comes into the organization, has some sort of murky role under mm-hmm. Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien gets fired. He sticks around there, has some sort of bigger murky role that's never been defined publicly. And then bad things happen. And I think naturally he's going to get blamed for that, right or wrong, meaningful or not meaningful. But this is also the organization's fault. I mean, when they when they hired um, Cully and had their press conference, they didn't take any questions about Jack Easterby or about the front office. They actually took a question from a fan about uh, the front office and then gave kind of a generic answer and then shut down the press conference when they cut J.J. Watt last week. Um, Man, they, they, he hadn't talked on record since September. Mm-hmm, you right. know, so like you're hiding this guy who's at the middle of this hurricane. Um, I guess my question would be, is this meteoric rise, this kind of like nebulous meteoric rise that, that Jack Easterby has enjoyed. Is it totally unprecedented? Or can you think of another upstairs dude in the mm-hmm. past that's had this sort of rise to power? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, thinking of people who were not football people, I mean, like cat guys get GM jobs and I don't think there's anything sort of like, I think that can work out fine if you have yeah. the right people around them. And if you know your role, but, Right, exactly. Like I think yeah, that's the tough part here. That's what I want to say about Easterby is that and about McNair as well. It's like it's one thing to say that a guy like Easterby is not qualified for this job. That's fine. You could say the same thing about McNair. I don't think he's qualified to be the owner. And I think when you get to Deshaun Watson, like the idea that he's not qualified to make personnel have any personal insight or insight into what makes a good coach when you have these other people who are not necessarily qualified for their jobs, uh, you know, being able to do their jobs, I feel like is difficult. I, I yeah. can't think of one where it was this high up. Like yeah. The only people I can think of are, are sons or daughters of owners who have meaningful roles because they inherited their teams. But otherwise, I think like in terms of like there's no one who had Jack Easterby's like path to a job. Like you could never tell someone, hey, go be a team chaplain, uh, you know, bounce around colleges for a while. And then eventually you'll run an NFL team's personnel department somehow. Divine intervention, man. Um, I read an SI article about uh Easterby in general, and this was from Jenny Vrentas and Greg Bishop, and it was a really good piece, but uh, one player likened the dynamic to a Game of Thrones situation, and Bill, mm-hmm. I think you watch Game of Thrones, yeah? 
off and on, yeah. Off and on. But you know the basic plot line. Oh, they said exactly. Yes. Brian Gain is Rob Stark. He was 17 mm-hmm. months and he's fired. He was supposed to be the heir to the throne. Bill O'Brien's Joffrey, maniacal, cutting people's heads off, shit like that. Then he gets poisoned. Mm-hmm. Jack Easterby is Littlefinger, which is the last guy you want to be on Game of Thrones. It's like the <laughs> the worst possible metaphor. So who's Deshaun Watson? What's like the logical end here? Is he Sansa? Like who is Deshaun? Is he going to be able to escape? That's that's the gist of of the question. Is he Arya? He could be Arya. I feel like he might be Arya. <laughs> um, here's the thing about Deshaun Watson, right? Like, like at the end of the day. If he does not want to play in Houston, he's not playing. I mean, like we've seen this now for a decade, right. um, more than a decade. I think right. we've seen it for a long time now. But like I think about Carson Palmer, like once Carson Palmer got the idea in his head that he was done with the Cincinnati Bengals, he was done. He was not coming back. He was waiting to get traded. He'd made a lot of money. He was cool sitting on the sidelines until he got traded. Right. Trent Williams last year, the same thing where Trent Williams in Washington said, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't trust the people who run this organization. Um, I'm going to sit out until you guys trade me. He got traded. I think with Deshaun, it's kind of the same thing where he's going to be able to escape if he wants to escape. I think it's just, you know, how dug it, in is he too? I mean, you've got to be willing to sit there and lose some money on the front end, right? hundred percent. I, I think he'll be fine in the long run. This is a guy who's so talented. He's going to make a oh, ton yeah. of money. I think it's more about losing like a year of your prime as a player, you know, I think that hurts, but like, if you're going to go back there next year and play for a coach, you don't believe in with an offensive line that, you know, has Larry Tunsil, otherwise it's pretty inconsistent. That's lost a bunch of talent at wide receiver that has major holes up and down the roster. Cause the team has made so many bad contracts and made so many bad trades and given up on so many draft picks. Like, do you necessarily want to go play for a six and ten team? Is that going to help you? As well, it's you not going to. And you talk about you talk about foregoing a year of your prime, but the risk you take in running out there any given 100%. play at any position is that your prime could be shortened. Um, mm-hmm. And exactly. then additionally, you mentioned those issues on the offensive line. And Deshaun's, if Deshaun has one propensity that I don't like, he comes about it honestly uh, because they've stripped him of all his weapons, and that's trying to play hero ball and extending 100%. plays and getting hit. So, you know, like my big thing is if you're in that situation and you know you want to play well, you're going to have to buy time. You're going to be throwing to dudes that were didn't have a, a picture in the program. They were shadow guys in the program. You're going to be playing in a dysfunctional uh, setting. You know, this tough pill to swallow, which people forget. Carson Palmer swallowed this pill. Seemed that everybody has amnesia on that when criticizing Deshaun. Mm-hmm. He's just got to be one to dig in. And I, I guess the question is, when it comes to a Deshaun Watson or a Russ who sees this and he's like, oh, I kind of like this quarterback empowerment <laughs> thing. If you're good enough to do it, does Russ have a point? And what are the odds he retires a Seahawk if you had to set them? Oh, boy. I, I was not expecting that second question. I got to think about that one. Um does Russ have a point about his complaints about the offensive line, correct? Yes, which he does, but how much of it does he have to own and how much did the Seahawks have to own? I mean, the nerdy answer is that he has to own a fair amount of it because every bit of research we've done, you know, not that we maybe, but at least I've done, says sacks are a quarterback stat. Like consistently year after year, even as the offensive linemen change, you're going to attract sacks as a quarterback. And I think when you watch Russell Wilson play, it takes about two seconds to realize how much of the impact on him is Russell Wilson extending plays, Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson, and sort of like, you know, towing that thin line between 
extending a play to get somebody open to do something incredible and extending a play and taking a 14 yard sack and blowing up your team's drive or fumbling 20 yards down, like 20 yards behind the line of scrimmage. Like Mm -hmm. that stuff happens. Like, I think that's, you know, you would never tell Russell Wilson, stop doing that. Just like you never told Patrick Mahomes. I sure wouldn't. He made me a lot of money. I mean, fuck dude. He was, I mean, we'd go up to Seattle and we'd be like, everybody's eating today. We might not win the football (laughs) game, but my man is going to be back there trying to make plays. And to make his point for him, you know, no disrespect to a Breno Giacomini, who I've always said was a guy I respect the hell out of because he got the, after the, you in the run game. The top, and, the top Breno in NFL history to me. He's definitely a top Breno, dude. And we could do a list another day. <laughs> but, but you know, these guys were dogs in the run game. But when 100%. it came to protecting him, they weren't as good. So I get his point, but I also see it as it's different than a Deshaun situation where Deshaun has drawn his line in the sand and he's saying, I'm yeah. out if I can help it. Russ like, might be under center next year, likely under center next year. Um, he could be under center after his out. The, the risk he runs is alienating maybe some of the dudes who are blocking for him and saying, 100%. like, look at the dog shit that you guys have, 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 uh, have arranged for me, and then he's got to go back to OTAs. Did you see Jermaine Effetti's tweet after? What did Jermaine say? Just like like a prayer emoji, I think. Just like, <laughs> thank you for finally <laughs> finally having this conversation. But that's that's the hard. There's some really hard parts about this quarterback mobility uh, discussion, and you know, player mobility in general, general and player empowerment. Like we all want that. You know, like I don't think we'll ever get to the NBA uh, where I'm sure football fans are afraid of. Yeah, I get it. Familiarity, your favorite team. You want to look like your favorite team every year, but I don't think mm-hmm. Bucks fans are complaining this year. Nope. So I, I th- there is going to be a happy medium there. I guess the question would be, these two guys are elite, and they can complain about whatever they want to, really, when it comes down to it, because they're not making a bunch of Russells or Deshaun's. Mm-hmm. Where is the Mendoza line? Let's set Ooh. it right now. The quarterback Mendoza line from a court of public opinion that says, I don't want to hear it, you are player X or south of player X. If you look in the league, I, I was thinking Tannehill's kind of the Mendoza line. What say you? Say, I might say Jared Goff is the Mendoza line. Oh, you got it a little bit lower than, than because me. I right. I feel like you know when when Jared Goff didn't have the best offensive line around him this year, when his receivers didn't always help him out, they, they did a good job. But you know, having Sean McVay around him, people were kind of just like, ah, eh, like not only people, but also Sean McVay himself seemed to be like, yeah, we're sick of you. Like, <laughs> like we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. Like, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, we would maybe rather play uh, John Wolford. Um, well, they would, you know, they would have, because squad. they they told us all we needed to know going into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I mean, dressing golf and making him number two, that means you think he can take a snap. Uh, right. Because as, as J- Jamal Adams illustrated, you're a snap away. Mm-hmm. By the way, I didn't answer your Russell Wilson question about his chances. Yeah, come on, set some but odds here, Bill. I would say 95%. Although I will say, it's always been weird. Like, even when he negotiated that first contract, his agent came out and was like, oh, maybe Russ is going to go play baseball. Maybe if he doesn't get a good deal. And it's like, you hit like 220 in double A. Like, you're not going to play baseball, Russell Yeah, Wilson. people overplay that stuff. I mean, they just, it's the low-hanging fruit. I, The only reason I could see him want to leave, I do think Russ looks at himself as football plus. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about New York, you know, you talk about Sierra, and like, this is very relevant stuff, even though people might laugh at it. You know, his he's got Russell Wilson money and Sierra money. So mm-hmm. money at some point is not going to be a big deal. It's the same thing for Tom Brady this year and going forward. This year for Tom was about being happy. So I guess the question to me, weaving these couple guys together is, 
Brady's path. Is that an anomaly going forward? Are we over forecasting the mobility that these quarterbacks going to have and the success that you can have in the offseason just snagging a veteran quarterback? Because over the last 10 years, by my count, Tannehill, Carson Palmer, mm-hmm. uh, Alex Smith on a level because he coached up uh, Patrick Mahomes and sure. Nick Foles, but they didn't plan on Nick Foles being the guy he'd be. Mm-hmm. They just thought they were getting a serviceable b- backup. So as far as starting quarterbacks are concerned, I'd say Tannehill and Palmer were successes, but outside of Brady, there haven't been a lot of guys through free agency or trades that, that you could get on the market and fix your team right away. Here's the, the tough part of this. I think we're seeing this now with Goff getting traded, with Carson possibly getting traded, and we're going to see this with the, ne- the next round of guys as well, is that I think more and more teams are realizing, hey, we could go out and win with a guy on a rookie deal. And for yeah. the first three years of that rookie deal, I mean, it wasn't the same bargain 20 years ago. It is such an enormous bargain now when you can get a guy like, like you know, um, Josh Allen this year making $7 million or something like that, as opposed to, you know, guys on, on veteran deals getting $25, $30 million. You can do so much more with your roster saving that money. And I think, you know, in the past, when you had a quarterback who was at all competent, you wanted to keep him around for as long as possible. And I think, what if we see more of the Wentz's struggle and the Goff struggle yeah. on their second deals? I think you're going to see teams come out and say, you know what? Like we're good. Like we're going to trade this guy and we're going to build around someone cheaper. We're going to go out and get a Tannehill and say, okay, you know, we can spend twenty five million dollars a year more on our offensive line because we didn't go out and invest all that much a quarterback. And Tannehill's making a lot of money now, but um, you know that formula is going to change. Those guys are going to seem. Uh, less valuable because you can get a successful quarterback for a significantly reduced salary. Whereas when Matthew Stafford came into the league, like he was, I believe, one of the highest paid quarterback in the history of football the moment he signed his rookie contract. Um, not that I'd know anybody who came into the league on the old CBA. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it would have been was, nice. It was a lot better than it coming would have been the nice. I can only imagine. Um, I, I wonder this though, Bill, and this is like out of left field, but at some point, the, it's good for the NFL to have charter franchises, you know, or like not charter franchises, but but fixture franchises that you're like, okay, I can associate this brand, this guy with mm-hmm. this franchise. We're seeing too much player mobility. Will they ever do anything to rectify this issue at quarterback? Will they ever implement a separate cap? Like, what kind of things do you think the NFL might do to mitigate? You know, some because fans might t- fans like familiarity. They like mm-hmm. having one guy that they buy their jersey and he stays. We're going to see a lot more movement at the most important position as we're talking. I think about. so. I, I think so for sure. I think the fact that those guys are cheaper are going to mean guys like Russell Wilson might move on at the end of their careers, or Brady might move around at the end of his career. Um, I could see like a like a max slot. You know, like like just like you have one guy who's not on your cap. I think MLS has something like that actually. Yeah. Even though there's not many NFL MLS comparisons, it's sort of this the only one. But like having one player who's off the cap, where you can make basically whatever you want to pay him 50, 60 million dollars. You know, on, on a on a, like a typical cap now. Right. Um, I could see that happening, but you know, I I I don't think. I think if you have a like the guy, like you have a Deshaun Watson or a Tom Brady, you don't want to see that guy leave. You're going to pay him anyways. But that second tier of guys where it is like a Carson Wentz even before this year yeah. or a Jared Goff, like there's definitely a subset of those fan bases 
that wanted those guys to leave. I think fans are more aggressive about wanting to move on from a guy now than they you're were actually right about 30 that. years ago. They're very pa- they're more passionate about guys leaving than guys staying. So like, 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 like not only that, but also like I think having social media helps where if you like maybe like in your group of friends, like you were the one guy who wanted to get rid of Jared Goff. Now you can find hundreds of people who want to get rid of Jared Goff. <laughs> yeah. You find a whole circle. You can go into your we should have kept Jared Goff echo chamber. Exactly. Uh, so so looking at the draft and the rest of the field here, because we've spent a lot of time on a few guys, but I, I wanna I wanna talk about one through twelve. And I'm talking about one through twelve because twelve obviously the Niners at this juncture and they are, to me, the biggest contender that might be in play early mm-hmm. for a quarterback. So as you look at that, let's start with out of those teams, Jacksonville, New York Jets, Miami, Atlanta, Cincy, Philly, Detroit, Carolina, Denver, Dallas, the Giants, and the Niners. Mm-hmm. Shorter list would be the teams that have zero chance of drafting a quarterback. Is that fair yes. to say? 100%. I mean, even... Like the like I I could see the Bengals aren't drafting a quarterback. Yep. That's who like, I had first. Like the Giants probably aren't drafting a quarterback. I would say no. I would say no. They they still believe in Daniel Jones. That might be it. Like the Cowboys could at least consider drafting a quarterback if they think there's no way they're locking up Dak Prescott in the long term. But otherwise, I would say those three teams, Giants, Cowboys, and Bengals. Because I'm no with you. Them. Like just going down, I mean. The biggest domino is the Jets, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you just have to consider what they're doing. I have no idea what they're doing. But, I mean, that that what happens at two is going to set the table for the rest of it. I'm not sure the Jets have any idea what they're doing yeah. at this point. Like, <laughs> like, to be entirely honest with you, I think they're sort of just waiting for, like, the universe to reveal itself to them and give them the one option they want. Right. Um, I could see them trading for a quarterback. I could see them drafting a quarterback. I could see them going with Sam Darnold. Like anything and everything is on the table there. And I think that can be scary, but like if you trust the people who are running your organization, that's a good situation to be in. So if you're San Francisco, how aggressive are you? Okay. So here's the thing. I think they have a right to be more aggressive than just about anybody else. And there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, we know their ceiling, right? They were a Super Bowl team last year with Jimmy Garoppolo, who I think is a good quarterback. I think I would say he's maybe not like a top tier, you know, like game changing quarterback, but you can clearly win with him. So yeah. um, he's making $25 million next year. It's all unguaranteed in a year with a reduced cap. And for whatever you want to say about Jimmy Garoppolo, like he isn't a Patrick Mahomes type where he's super, you know, like would work in any scheme above any level talented. He's not cheap at $25 million and he's not very healthy. It's tough to rely on him being a guy who starts for all 16 games. He's just right. has not been healthy for most of his pro career. So can you commit that much money to him as a quarterback when you can't count on him to be a, a solid guy for 16 games? That's tough to ask. And then yep. I think on top of that, they have a ton of free agents. I mean, they have guys like Richard Sherman, Jason Ferret, uh, who are free agents. Trent Williams is a free agent. Um you know, they have a lot of guys they want to keep. And so for Fred Warner, I think also a free yeah, agent. they have guys they want is. to keep. And so like, you know, they're either going to have to keep Garoppolo and spend 25 million a quarterback. They're going to trade for someone like a Deshaun Watson. Maybe they were going to Matthew Stafford and spend a lot of money that way. Or if they trade up and get a guy and can pay him $5 million in year one, well, now maybe you can keep Sherman. Maybe you can keep Fred. Maybe you can keep Fred Warner or Trent, War- Trent Williams when, if you're paying Garoppolo $25 million, you probably couldn't have. So I think if they see a guy they love, I think they are, they have so much to gain 
not only got the quarterback court position, but also elsewhere by trading up and going to get that guy. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that's the one team that that's got to be aggressive. Is there anybody who's really sweating because they don't have the capital um, in that top range and they're sitting there and being like, our hands are tied and we don't have mm. a quarterback and we're going to be up shit's Creek without a paddle. I mean, the Patriots, like they're 15 and like they're probably too far down to move up and get somebody. Oh, you know, Bill's going to go get, you know, they're going to cut Jimmy to save money. Uh, and then Jimmy's going to be right back. And that's the one chalky storyline that I think plays <laughs> out. Like what, that, would you set, what would you set the odds of that happening? Uh, I'd say 50. 50. <laughs> that's probably fair. I'd say 50. And that's being conservative because like you have to realize New England doesn't surprise you a lot. You know, like they kind of do what you think they're going to do. Um, and I know, you know, there's this mystique, but last year proved Bill just stays the course. And I think the course yeah. for him would be, listen, we got a lot of cap space. We can support a tier two quarterback that knows the mm -hmm. system that I never wanted to get away. And he could be back here for nothing, you know, mm -hmm. rather than making a trade or burning draft capital, not that they're great at putting that draft capital to work. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Jimmy G could end up back there for sure. And I guess outside of those teams, you're talking about New England, because I think they're a team that can win if they find the right quarterback. 100%. I put the Saints, the Raiders, Washington, and Indy in that category. Let me try one on for size for you here, Bill. Mm -hmm. The Saints have ter a terrible cap situation. they got no quarterback. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. But they're still a good football team with one of the best offensive minds in, mm -hmm. in the game's history. How do you like my man Fitz Magic in New Orleans? I love it. I love it so much. Perfect, perfect addition there. Because, uh -huh. you know, like Fitz is, we saw what he can do. You can clearly win with him. I mean, he is terrifying in so many ways. Like, <laughs> like, like there, there's no, having read all those stories about Robert Griffin, the other Robert Griffin was a starter like yes. his first year where he's like, you know, he's got to protect his body. And meanwhile, I watch Fitz and he's like diving head first, you know, inside the five yard line when he's down 24 points in the fourth quarter. Um, he know, made it the, the toughest throw of the game. year with his head sideways mm -hmm. at that 45 years old, dude. Like the guy is, he's got a stronger arm than Drew Brees. He's smart, so he can hang with 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 Sean Payton. He's tough. He doesn't mind being dicked around either. His whole career, he's been the bridge guy. He could be a bridge guy on a really good contending team, and he's not going to mind when Taysom Hill goes in there and throws a pick, you know, or or, or, or takes a sack. I mean, and, and fucks up the drive. He's going to be okay with it because he's a team guy. What he went through last year, if he went to New Orleans. He'd be happy as a clam, and I think it would work out for them on the field. I just, I just love the idea of Ryan Fitzpatrick having a tombstone one day that said, "Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, nineteen seventy to two thousand fifty, didn't mind being dicked around. That's what you want." <laughs> I also like the fact that you just, You're right, though. you just scatter shot nineteen seventy like, <laughs> like he was, like he was alive when the TVs were black and white. I. The Raiders, okay, real quick, what are they yeah. doing and why do people hate Derek Carr so much? I have a theory. I think it's because his last name's Carr and people don't like his brother. Yes, I think that's a significant part of it. I also have been thrown off by Derek Carr's accent, which is really surprising to me. Like for you to grow up in Bakersfield, he has like a thick, like very rich, like, you know, yeah. like, like Southern storyteller accent, which I was really surprised by when I heard him talk for the first time. Um, I think that's part of it. But I think this is a guy who has consistently been for the past couple of years, a top 10 quarterback, like bottom half a top 10 for sure. But like, yeah. 
like that offense works. I mean, we saw them against the Chiefs. Like, I think the one knock would have been like, oh, they're conservative. They get the ball out quick. You know, he's not really like a big deep thrower. They hit bombs against the Chiefs yeah. in that game. Really the that, he's not the problem with that football team. And I think, you know, if they want to go out and get somebody, they, they can. And John Gruden has had wandering eyes for quarterbacks before. But like oh, yeah. the problem with that team is the defense. It's not their not their car in the slightest. He can't keep his uh his clipboard in his pants. He just, he just likes, he just, he's got the wandering eyes. I like the way you put that. Uh, Washington, I think they're with that defense could be a contender tomorrow mm-hmm. if they hit on a quarterback, but we're running out of, of uh, options here. Let me ask you if you're the Lions and you've seen, of course, you were part of the Matthew Stafford trade where you got two first round picks for Stafford, for, for Stafford in return, plus Jared Goff. I like and I mean, going here. And you know, I know you know where I'm going. And let's say Carson Wentz goes for a first round pick. Let's say that other quarterbacks go on the move for significant capital. I know you told Jared Goff he was going to be your guy, but do you at least think about trading Jared yes. Goff for, you know, like yes. for, a, for a first round pick and then say, okay, like go to Washington. They have a great defense. They have Scott Turner there. Yes. You can win in that offense. We're going to draft a guy at seven, like, you know, We'll, we'll refund anyone who bought a Lions golf jersey. All 12 of you who bought the Lions golf jersey. Like, Hell yeah. We're rebuilding. For sure. It seems like it makes sense to me. It makes so much sense. Now, I don't know if it makes as much sense for the Washington football team, but they Scott Turner might see something in him where we've got some players that you can get the ball to underneath. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got exciting young players. We have, you know, leaders on that team. Like, they have the bones of a big boy football team. They just don't have that one piece. And I think in Detroit – you just keep stacking up draft capital. Mm-hmm. Hell, if you like Trey Lance, go get him. You know, like 100%. and if and if you can't trade Jared Goff, the point I made is he's been a real pro about this whole process. I'll say that. People like to pile on him. Like he's sure. a good dude and he would treat whatever quarterback you brought in the building really well and tutor him because, you know, because he couldn't execute things live bullets in LA doesn't mean he didn't know the game inside and out. A lot of guys are not decision makers under the gun. Mm. Uh, he might know uh, everything there is to know in the classroom and could really help a young guy. Also, one thing about Jared Goff, and and I feel like this happens with a bunch of guys, like he ain't that bad. You know, this is not like, it's no. not like he is like a, a guy off the street who ran that offense. Like I watched that Vikings game a couple of years ago. I watched that. Uh, the I watched Vikings that game was game. unbelievable. Literally, the day the Vikings game happened, I wrote an article for ESPN about how the Rams and other teams should consider trading their young quarterbacks at the end of their contracts and just starting over with a new quarterback. And of course, the poster boy for that article, Jared Goff, throws five touchdown passes that night to prove what an idiot I am. They were beautiful throws, too. When he gets hot, he is an awesome thrower. When When he knows what to see on defense like we know when he's what's coming on defense when he's comfortable in the pocket he is a phenomenal thrower and, and another, th- another thing is that once the mcveigh relationship goes sour people don't understand how hard it is to win in the nfl anyways at any position mm-hmm. but when you don't like your coach and your coach doesn't like you you're fucked unless 100%. you're great unless you're transcendent great so if you're detroit find out what you got what you think of him because they might actually think he's very serviceable uh and i think he is too yeah yeah, because I, I I would agree. We we mentioned the Eagles; they could draft a QB. In fact, uh, if I'm them, I do trade Carson and draft a QB, and then oh. let Jalen and him duke it out. That's the way I do things if I'm the Eagles, um, because you've already ruined the relationship with Carson. Carson ruined it too by not playing well this year. But you like I, I just if you're the school of thought, 
that the Eagles didn't undermine Carson at all, you're wrong, I think. And if you're the school of thought that Carson should have been untouchable, you're wrong as well. The truth lies somewhere in between there, but the relationship is broken. Get what you can and get him out the door. I, and part of that is me rooting for a guy I don't I, I, I like that I played with. Fresh start would be great. Is Chicago the place? That's what I keep hearing. Mm-hmm. I agree with you 100% on Carson. I mean, again, it's a lot like Jared Goff. We're like, is he that guy who was like an MVP candidate in 2017? Probably not. Is he the guy who looked like he couldn't get out of his own way in 2020? No. Also, probably not. There's a middle ground in there in 2018 and 2019 where dude was good. Like he wasn't with bad talent. I mean, you know, and that's a big deal. So, you know, I think you end up somewhere where you have some weapons. If you put him in Denver or something, which isn't going to happen, you know, he'd be like, holy shit, what are these toys? I mean, the thing is, you're looking at people freaked out about Aaron Rodgers and the Jordan Love thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, Carson is quite literally not on the same planet as Aaron Rodgers, and very few have ever been on the same planet as Aaron Rodgers. Right. We lamented him having to overcome that lack of investment resources. Carson didn't have a, a Devontae Adams or an Aaron Jones, and no. they drafted a guy two months after they they read him up. You know, like, and you everybody wants these football players to be these, and especially former players, man. Oh, you got to be tough. You can't let any weakness enter. When you get broke off and then they draft a guy like two, three months later, I don't care who you are. You can pretend that doesn't get in your head. It gets in your head. So, of course it does. You know, I, I think that relationship's broken. And Ryan, Ryan Pace, he was sweating Carson hard on draft day. That's mm-hmm. what people don't remember. They were going to take him. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and it's like they didn't have a plan when, uh, when the Eagles traded up. But... I don't think he's going to Indy because I think Ballard's too stingy with draft capital. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I could see I could see him in Chicago. And you got Flip out there, D. Filippo. That's true. QB coach. I, you know, from the Bears perspective, I think it makes total sense, right? Like, right. this is an organization where until you figure out that quarterback situation, you are defined as we're the guys who traded up for Mitch Trubisky instead of drafting Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. And you can, you know, like, like that's after the fact, that's unfair, but it's the reality of the situation. And they went eight and eight this year with Mitch. We know they can win with, you know, better quarterback play. They have Allen Robinson, who's a free agent. That obviously right. is something they're going to have to do something about because their wide receiving court is gross without him on the roster. Yeah, it's, um, it's but like, like they're not, they're not in their jobs after this year. Like there's a moral hazard there of like their future draft picks, or Chicago's future draft picks mean a lot more to the bears than they mean to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. Like they should be happy to give away those future draft picks. If it means getting a quarterback situation that's solved right now, it's save your job. It's going to save your job. It's going to get you an extension. Like, like, you know, just as Carson Wentz is thinking about his future and his job, when he has someone coming up behind him, same thing with, with a head coach and a general manager who are stuck in the same situation. And I think that, you know, their future picks mean a lot more to Chris Ballard and the Colts than they do to Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace with the Bears. So I think even if you're hesitant to give up your first round pick in 2021, I think you're at least thinking about a 2022 first. It's like, that's something we're comfortable getting. We might not be there. Well, exactly. So like, (laughs) you know, if you're the, if you're back working for the saints, you're good. Like you don't need to worry about Mm -hmm. that. Um, And I think for Carson, Carson's side of things, like, I don't know if the Bears are my first pick. I'd much rather go to the Broncos, the team you mentioned, in terms of having Ooh, pieces yeah. around them. But like, it's not an unreasonable deal. Like Carson Wentz, if you're trading for Carson Wentz, basically you're locked into paying him 
$47 million over the next two years, which is a lot of money. You're making a two-year commitment, yeah. but like that's $5 million more than Teddy Bridgewater got as a free agent. And I think a lot of people, I love Teddy Bridgewater at like, you know, I, I have a, a, a shrine of Teddy Bridgewater in my home in terms of how much I love Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah. But like Carson Wentz is, I think most people would say he's got a higher ceiling. He's got a higher sure. ceiling. I mean, for sure. And that's the thing is like when a player shows you what they're capable of, as long as that player is not unwilling to work, which Carson mm -hmm. is not, he doesn't have a work ethic problem. If you read the tea leaves, and this is again because, you know, like I haven't been there in a couple of years, he's stubborn. Okay. For sure. And listen, guess who else is stubborn? I say this every time I talk about it. This guy in this fucking chair right here. And in <laughs> some of the D line coaches I had in my career, if I were a quarterback and it was that scrutinized of a relationship, mm -hmm. the things they would have wrote about me if I was important, you know what I'm saying? Like, 100%. When, you've, when you're on your sixth coach, like, you got to give the guy some stability, and he needs mm -hmm. to be in a situation now where you actually, whether people think it's right or wrong, and this isn't feeling bad for Carson. But if you want the best out of him, it ain't going to be in Philly anymore. That's what I think. And I so agree. we'll see. Bill Varnwell, thank you so much, man. Love reading your stuff, as always. I remind you of that every time you come on. So um, folks, check him out at ESPN. And uh, really, as a player who played the game, analytics people, numbers people who lean into that stuff, you can trust this guy, man. He's the <laughs> man. So appreciate you, Bill. I was waiting for you to say analytics people go fuck yourselves <laughs> no that was it everybody but bill <laughs> barnwell no that's not true uh thank you so much bill thanks buddy all right i want to take a minute to thank DraftKings, our great partner for the 2020 football season and we also want to shout out stanford steve for being a big part of that we had some laughs made some buckets and had a lot of fun along the way but while the football season may have ended, the 2021 sports calendar has just gotten underway. Had a terrific Super Bowl, might I add. So if you haven't already, head over to DraftKings, America's top-rated sportsbook app, and enter the code GREENLIGHT and start firing away. Well, you heard it there. Uh, Fitz magic to the Saints. We broke it first. It's going to happen. I'm going to will it to happen. I just want Fitzy to get placed somewhere where he gets an opportunity to really win this year. That's what I hope for him. Enough football. Uh, Bill Barnwell is a marvel, dude. Love having that guy on. Um, I'll talk to you about malt liquor, okay? Remember what we did last week? We had the malt liquor tasting. We had a hurricane round with Jason Kelsey. I love that. I hope we do it again sometime. Uh, I just want to say that malt liquor, more than any vessel that you can poison your body is an absolute time and place buzz. You get a malt liquor buzz, I was 23, I was 24, I was 25, I was 26, but I stopped around 26. It's a time and a place. It is nostalgia in a bottle, dude. I got home, of course, Cavalry drove me home because, and he can attest to that, uh, my drunk ass was sitting there in the car about 240s deep. <laughs> Cowboy Reed's driving me home in a, in a blizzard. <laughs> and uh, I walk in the house, you know, hi kids. I'm like a 1940s dad, you know? That's exactly how I pictured dads in the 1940s. They get home and they smell like liquor and they've been out at the office and uh, they do the best they can to get the kids to bed <laughs> and be a functioning member of uh, the household. So, my wife, who's really understanding, 
uh, didn't make a big deal about it. She didn't make a big deal about the fact that when I woke up the next morning, you know, our, our, our fridge is, is, uh, it's like, you know, pouches. If you're a dad of young kids, you know, a lot of the foods they eat, they don't even chew. They, it's like, they basically eat smoothies in a pouch, uh, for every meal, pouches, vegetables, you know, Greek yogurt, the type of things my lovely wife likes to eat. And then like a brown bag with a bottle of Schlitz in there. And it just did like that time in a place that I lived, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago. It was great. I like going back to it, but I think the fridge is a nice metaphor. I just thought of this. I think the fridge is a nice metaphor for how 40s just don't quite sync up with my 35-year-old father of two lifestyle. That's not to say every once in a while, like when we make great content here uh, with compelling guests over 40 ounces of malt liquor, I won't get that buzz again. I'll get it again. But it's just not something that's sustainable um, for me. I think we, we I'll, I'll more err on the side of the, uh, the Will Blackman wine buzz, okay? I can do that. I had a, bottle, a couple glasses of red a couple weeks ago in, uh, in the wake of that, that Will Blackman pod. Um, listen, I texted Kelsey at 2 a.m., or I texted him actually at like 2.30 in the morning. I said, man, I'm still up. I'm on 40 number three. He texted me back the next day. He said, you know that warm fire that I was sitting next to? About 3 a.m. I woke up outside and the fire was out. <laughs> so Jason Kelsey woke up outside uh, after doing our podcast. And that's what makes this thing special. Um, anyways, I do want to circle back to one thing Jason Kelsey said. The whole not washing your hands after you urinate in the bathroom, I don't support that, okay? I was, I listened back to the pod and I feel like I kind of sat there idly and didn't really let him know how disgusting that was to hear about a friend who I've dapped up thousands of times. If you think about the amount of handshakes and hugs, me and Jason Kelsey, I mean, like, shit, when we climb Kilimanjaro, I, I'm assuming everybody's got bad hygiene. You get a lot of elbow bumps and, and knuckles and that sort of thing. But uh, I just never thought that at the Eagles end of the year Christmas party, Kelsey <laughs> in a sport coat walking out of a bathroom hasn't washed his hands after he took a leak. And the rationale for him is, again, as long as you don't piss on your hand, it's fine. <laughs> like, I'm not okay with that. I know it was said on this podcast. It's actually offensive, thinking back. So, um, yeah. I think it's also a little bit genius because if you're Jason Kelsey and you like fans and you're classy when you run across them, but big crowds, autograph signings, if I'm him, I get that out there. People don't want to shake your hand anymore. It's kind of smart. Um, first, first weekend with no football was absolutely glorious. I just want to say that. Best weekend I've had in 20-plus weeks. And I don't know if like the NFL media makes um, takes like a blood oath where you have to act like you're sad. Uh, you're not having like a fucking seizure looking at 18 TVs all Sunday, just hemorrhaging money staring at all these TVs and you're disoriented and you're going to be up till 3 a.m. Uh, doing a podcast that everybody's going to read all bright-eyed and bushy at 9 a.m. 
and they're going to judge the fuck out of your podcast because they watch only one game. There's a lot of gravity there. And I don't know, either these people are, are carrying out the blood oath and tweeting, you know, every year, seven days from the last Sunday, oh, what do I do with this weekend? Oh my gosh, I miss it so much. Or they're sociopaths. I have no idea how you're not a little bit excited that you can walk the fucking dog on Sunday. I don't know. Isn't there a release there? Or some of you guys just sickos. It was glorious though. And a lot of why it was glorious is because I had a lot of unfinished business um, around the house. There's nothing more energizing than when you get on a task, man. You guys know what I'm talking about. And I am a task master. I don't, I'm not in the zone a lot, but when I am, I crush it. And the season, because of the workload I just mentioned, and for me, like doing all the pods we were doing this, this year, it was like almost too much. And Amazon, I said, I've said that two years now. Maybe I'll do less next fall. Um, you know, like parts of my house look like I am legend and I just don't have time to tend to it. I don't have time to finish the task that I, that paused for 24 weeks around like August 28th. I ended up upstairs doing a task and hit it out of the ballpark. Thanks to a new product that I have no corporate affiliation with. This is not like an ad read. It sounds a lot like an ad read, but I just love this volcano vaporizer so much. I love it so fucking much. I got it from Planet of the Vapes. It's a really cool name for a website. <laughs> I was hitting my volcano bag in front of my wife going, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> like, get it, Planet of the Vapes. <laughs> so fucking stupid. But I love the website, dude. I love it. And uh, I love the volcano vaporizer. Listen, I had a PAX for years. I had a PAX which is a little vaporizer, you put some flour in, and it obviously vaporizes that shit down so you're not breathing in a bunch of papers and, and yeah, I don't know, carcinogens, you know, burning a bunch of joints or that sort of thing, or that harsh feeling after you smoke a bowl or something, or some of you bongers, people got real mad, I don't know. People got mad at me because I said on part of my take that uh, bongs are so like your early 20s. For me, that's, you know, maybe I spoke a little bit too from personal, too much from personal experience. Uh, I don't think bongs are in anymore when you're like a father of young children. The thing is enormous. It's glass. It looks like a lot of work in retrospect. I got nothing against bongs. I just have never been a bong guy. I really liked my packs. I got away from it from a little bit for a little bit. So I said, you know what? I've heard about these kind of desktop vaporizes i don't want to smoke my pen as much as i have in the past so i said i'm gonna order one of these bad boys and take a flyer on on this i got the gold one looks amazing looks like a little r r2d2 no c3po so a little c3po shaped like an r2d2 that's what my volcano looks like it's got a dial it's got 10 settings you know the heat settings it's got a green button for blowing up the balloon it's got a red button for turning the heat on this is basically a youtube tutorial okay what I'm giving you right now. One stop shop here. Check this bad boy out. You put the little balloon on top. The balloon inflates. It's way bigger than you think it is. But don't be afraid because it takes five minutes to heat up now. Five minutes to heat up. You blow your bag up. The only tough part is that you actually have to remember to turn the heat off. Uh, and that's the thing. Technology and getting stoned do not really mix, so I got the cheaper one. 
you know, the, the, the latest one is like digital and there's all these numbers and shit. It's probably just fine to operate. It intimidated me. This little basic volcano vaporizer produces the best, cleanest buzz. Like literally, I'm on two, three bags right now. Um, just crushing a podcast. Or maybe the, the producers are like, probably not so much, Chris, but you're enjoying it. I um I I love this thing. It's so clean. It doesn't last long. And thanks to this volcano vaporizer, I cleaned my entire fucking bathroom, dude. Let me tell you about my bathroom. Or normally what this process would go like. I was like sitting up there because I was doing the volcano in my bathroom. Both kids were taking a nap and I was like, you know, maybe I'll try this thing out. It's a snow day. We're snowed in. I noticed that you know, about three bags in, I noticed that, you know, the bath towel is on the ground. So I reached down to pick up the bath towel and hang it on the hook. And then I have this little realization that maybe I should just clean the entire bathroom. So naturally with me, this is usually how it goes. And at one juncture, this is how it went. The entire bathroom counter, and we have a big counter, there's piles everywhere. If my wife walked upstairs, she would have a heart attack, even by my standards. But my vice drawer was fucking spotless, dude. Well, that's usually how the story ends. And at that point, I walk downstairs and forget and make up an excuse later. Um, but this went a little bit differently. I followed through and cleaned all the piles up, dude. I was listening to Jeep's Blues, organizing a drawer that looked like a fucking bed, bath, and beyond aisle. Spare toothpaste, spare gold bond i haven't used gold bond in forever i got plenty of gold bond it's all itemized it's right there i got my contact lenses in one bucket i got razors i haven't shaved in years i mean it was impressive and uh eventually i had to make up some shit about two drawers there's nothing in the two drawers like literally i have excess drawers so thanks to the volcano i started this process i had seven beard trimmers now i have two and dudes out there know why you need two beard trimmers but you sure don't need seven so I appreciate the volcano uh, for, thank you volcano for organizing the fuck out of my house. I mean, my bathroom looked like I was a Marine or something. Looked like I was going overseas. Sergeant Chris, I, I told my lovely wife, I said, you gotta call me Sergeant Chris from now on. Stolen valor in this, up in this motherfucker cause like you could bounce a quarter off my bed type of organizational skills going on. And at one point my buddy texted me, asked me how I was feeling and my answer was, I don't notice much, it's all good. And I looked around and I go, wait, come to think of it, I am high. <laughs> I mean, so again, the balloon takes five minutes to heat up, tastes great. Uh, and yeah, I got the older one because I don't like technology. Again, technology, being high, don't mix. It is healthy and it is awesome. Now, one thing I did on the, uh, the volcano this weekend, and this is where I come to the shameful admission part of the show i saw karate kid for the first time last night in my life not this year not in the past five years not that i remember i truly believe this is the first time i've seen any extended portion of karate kid reed how does that make you feel uh you should be embarrassed for giving making so much shit all the time that's true <laughs> it's true. You know, it's funny. I do give Macon a lot of shit, but Macon misses the classics and everything in between, like all the way through to the cult classics. 
But like definitely Karate Kid has been one of those movies you act like you've seen. And not because you're ashamed. Like really, I'm not ashamed. I'm offering this up to millions of people by my count, all the people listening to this podcast at this juncture in the show. Um, it's just more that I don't feel like going through the conversation, you know? Like, really? Are you kidding me? You gotta do it. You gotta. And then they like make you watch Karate Kid at gunpoint. Like, that's kind of how people are. So I just have avoided it. And after a while, you kind of know when somebody says, put him in a body bag, Johnny. You're like, oh, I kind of know what was happening in the movie. Because at some point, I asked somebody, did you jog my memory? What was that scene in the movie? Like, I forgot. I've seen the movie. And then they tell you, and then you act like you know what was going on at that juncture. So you're in on the inside jokes. But for the most part, you mostly smile and nod. You know that really uncomfortable fixed smile, like you know what's going on? And you don't. That's what I've been like for years with Karate Kid. So I saw it last night for the first time. It's wild it took this long. Uh, I picked it up at the scene after he does all that manual labor and he realizes what, what the fuck he's been doing the last couple of days. Reed, you remember that scene? Yeah. Wax on, wax off? Yeah, dude. All that shit just came to life. <laughs> right in front of all the times I've nodded and smiled and all that shit. I mean, there's been pass rush drills where we're quoting Mr. Miyagi, right? For years, like I've been in pass rush drills doing wax on, wax off. I've heard people delivering the lines, um, and it just it illu it illuminated right in front of me, man. For the first time I saw it, that's a great scene to kind of pop into. My mind was blown, and then also the fact that all maintenance men are essentially like Chung Lee, like potentially, right? If you like, if you're a maintenance man, you could you could be in the octagon. Yep. That's what I'm. That's the conclusion I'm drawing from that. Um, and then I stopped and I watched Curb for a while, um, for a long while, and picked up Karate Kid on the back end. Popped back in. I saw Miyagi giving Danielson some Toradol, essentially. Right? Is that what happened back there, Reed? What happened back there when he got kicked in the leg and then he went to the back and then Miyagi did something to him? And they cut the scene right before he was like bracing to do some maneuver. You're, you're the Toradol expert, and if memory serves me right, that sounds about right. So do you, so so that's essentially what he did. He shot Danielson up in the back of like a youth sports tournament, which, to be honest, all these lines are coming to life right in front of my eyes. Put him in a body bag, Johnny, and then sweep the leg and all that stuff. Like I knew loosely what we were referring to when we made those jokes for years, but to see it in motion, man, it was crazy. The most disappointing part, they should have slow-moed that crane kick. What the fuck? There was all this buildup, and then he, like, in real time, just kicks the shit out of the guy in the chest, and they're like, winner. I don't even know how karate works. What, 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 are, what are the rules? So, yeah, I mean, like, awesome movie. I will go back front to back at some point and watch the whole thing. I'm sorry, but the, uh, the big vagina uh, episode of Curb uh, was right there. <laughs> If you know that episode. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but, but definitely, like, Mr. Miyagi's getting canceled nowadays. He shot that fucking kid up, who, by the way, is 23 in real life at the time of the movie. He looks 16. It's insane. 1984. Ralph Macchio. Ralph Macchio. He's 59 now. Googled the shit out of, you know, pictures of that dude. I hadn't seen him in years. My cousin Vinny. Yep, that's that's where I knew him from. Is he's in My Cousin Vinny? Yep, had to be. That's exactly because I was like, who the fuck is this guy? I know he's also maybe the Cobra Kai's are misunderstood. 
Well, isn't there a TV show right now about? I don't know. Spoilers. No spoilers. But I just felt like maybe they're a little bit, bit misunderstood. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity into a greater discussion on coaching in youth sports. But Miyagi's getting canceled nowadays if he pulled some shit like that. Uh, and maybe these Cobra Kai kids deserve second chances, right? Certainly. They, they should go over to Mr. Miyagi's dojo. Yep. Sans the Tordal. No Tordal. Paint the fence. Yeah, we'll do we'll do some Karate Kid uh, content because I know some people are going to be like, "What the fuck, dude?" Like, kind of like you just were. All right, I'll see y'all Friday. Wow.